We continue on our journey through the book of Yaakov, which is James chapter 2. Bless the Lord. James chapter 2. And today we'll be, be uh, beginning in verse number 8. A continuation of last Shabbat, which would have been August 5th, where I last spoke and taught from the book of James. Yaakov chapter 2 verse 8. If you truly attain the goal of kingdom Torah, in conformity with the passage that says, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, your actions now constitute sin. Since you are convicted under the Torah as transgressors. For a person who keeps the whole Torah, yet stumbles at one point, has become guilty of breaking them all. For the one who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Now if you don't commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the Torah. Keep speaking and acting like people who will be judged by the Torah, which gives freedom. For the judgment will be without mercy toward the one who does not show mercy, but mercy wins over judgment. And so now as we go deeper today in this portion of scripture, let us now turn to the book of Romans chapter 3 and beginning at verse 19. As we'll see today, as in the past, scripture lines up with scripture so that we'll get the full interpretation of the mind of God on all these issues. So here we are in Romans chapter 3 and beginning at verse 19. Moreover, we know that whatever the Torah says, it says to those living within the framework of the Torah, in order that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world will be shown to deserve God's adverse judgment. For in his sight, no one alive will be considered righteous on the ground of legalistic observance of Torah commands. Because what Torah really does is show people how sinful they are. But now, quite apart from Torah, God's way of making people righteous in his sight has been made clear. Although the Torah and the prophets give their witness to it as well. And it it is righteousness that comes from God through the faithfulness of Yeshua, the Messiah to all who continue trusting. For it makes no difference whether one is a Jew or a Gentile, since all have sinned and come short of earning God's praise. By God's grace, without earning it, all are granted the status of being considered righteous before him through the act redeeming us from our enslavement to sin. 
that was accomplished by Messiah Yeshua. God put Yeshua forward as the kapara for sin through his faithfulness in respect to his bloody sacrificial death. This vindicated God's righteousness because in his forbearance, he had passed over with neither punishment nor remission the sins people had committed in the past. And it vindicates his righteousness in the present age by showing that he is righteous himself and is also the one who makes people righteous on the ground of Yeshua's faithfulness. So, what room is left for boasting? None at all. What kind of Torah excludes it? One that has to do with legalistic observance of rules. No, rather a Torah that has to do with trusting. Therefore, we hold the view that a person comes to be considered righteous by God on the ground of trusting, which has nothing to do with legalistic observance of Torah commands. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, he is indeed the God of the Gentiles, because as you will admit, God is one. Therefore, he will consider righteous the circumcised on the ground of trusting and the uncircumcised through the same trusting. Does it follow that we abolish Torah by this trusting? Heaven forbid. On the contrary, we confirm Torah. So we see that there's a balance through this whole portion here of Scripture. Now let us continue now in Romans chapter 11 and beginning at verse number 16. Romans 11 and verse 16. You may be asking, Rabbi, why are you doing this comparison? Because many people say that, that uh, both uh, Yaakov, James, and Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, were in arguments through the Scripture with one another. But they were not. So Romans eleven sixteen continues. Now, if the hala offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole loaf. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive, were grafted in among them and have become equal sharers in the rich root of the olive tree, then don't boast as if you were better than the branches. However, if you do boast, remember that you're not supporting the root. The root is supporting you. So that you will say branches were broken off so I might be grafted in. True, but so what? They were broken off because of their lack of trust. However, you keep your place only because of your trust. So don't be arrogant. On the contrary, be terrified. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he certainly won't spare you. So take a good look at God's kindness and his severity. On the one hand, severity to those who fell off, but on the other hand, God's kindness towards you, provided you maintain yourself in kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Excellent comparison in these portions of scripture here. And now if you will turn with me to the book of Galatians. And who wrote the book to the 
Messianic community of Galatia, but it was Rav Shaul. We're going to gain more insights from him today. So we're in Galatians chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse number 11. That's chapter 2 and verse 11. Furthermore, when Kepha came to Antioch, that is Peter, I opposed him publicly because he was clearly wrong. For prior to the arrival of certain people from the community headed by Yaakov, he had been eating with the Gentile believers. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he was afraid of the faction who favored circumcising Gentile believers. And the other Jewish believers became hypocrites along with him. So that even Barnaba, Barnabas, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I, and Rav Shaul is speaking here, but when I saw that they were not walking a straight path, keeping in line with the truth of the good news, I said to Kepha Peter, right in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, why are you forcing the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth, not so-called Gentile sinners. Even so, we have come to realize that a person is not declared righteous by God on the ground of legalistic observance of Torah commands, but through the Messiah, Yeshua's trusting faithfulness. Therefore, we too have put our trust in Messiah Yeshua and become faithful to him in order that we might be declared righteous on the ground of Messiah's trusting faithfulness and not on the ground of our legalistic observance of Torah commands. For on the ground of legalistic observance of Torah commands, no one will be declared righteous. So all you Gentile believers who are trying to become more and more Torah observant and thinking you're gaining a greater place in God's eyes, you're fooling yourselves. If you're not putting your full trust in the complete work that Messiah Yeshua has done, then you're being led astray. Rav Shaul is very, very clear on that. And so is Yaakov James on this. Because it's amazing how many people from the nations believe that they're gaining even a greater righteousness and greater holiness in the sight of God by them trying to impose their Torah observance upon themselves. But the scripture clearly declares this, that no one will be made righteous through Torah observance. All will be made righteous with he who fulfilled Torah, which is Messiah Yeshua, and putting our trust in his complete work. These are very, very things, important things that need to be clarified. Now, continuing here in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. Galatians 3 and 28. There is neither Jew or Gentile, 
neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female. For in union with Messiah Yeshua, you are all one. It can't be any more clearer than that. All those who put their trust in what Yeshua's complete work accomplish and try to add anything to it are being led astray. Now, this is not Rabbi Frank's teaching. This is the teaching that was given through the holy apostles. And they taught without error. They literally interpreted the scripture through Yeshua. And if you're not living your life out today and putting your full trust in Yeshua, you're being led astray. He is to be the center of your life. Not your Torah observance or anything else you'd like to fill in the blank. It's that clear. Now let us go on to the book of Messianic Jews, which is Hebrews. It's fascinating. We don't even know who the author is. That's one of those mysteries I'm looking forward to. Once we get to heaven and we finally meet the actual author of the book of Hebrews. So here we are in um, Messianic Jews or Hebrews chapter 7. And we're going to be beginning here in verse number 12. Praise be to God. For if the system of a Kohanim, which is a priest, is transformed, there must be of necessity occur a transformation of Torah. The one about whom these things are said belongs to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. I'm currently reading through the book of Davarim, and it was commanded this, if you were not part of the tribe of Levi, and the Levites all had certain uh, duties to do, they were not to infringe upon the other parts of Levitical priesthood's duties. And if anyone from any of the other tribes would even come near to even assist, they were to be taken out and stoned. And so with this mindset, the writer of the book of Hebrews or Messianic Jews is writing to them. Because you know what's going on at this time as the book of Hebrews has been written? The second temple still exists. The priesthood is still going on. And so now the author is introducing to them into another priesthood. If you back up here a little bit, you'll see it speaks of a different Cohen compared to Melchizedek here. So now let us continue in verse 13. The one about whom these things are said belongs to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For everyone knows that our Lord arose out of Yehuda Judah, and that Moshe said nothing about his tribe when he spoke about the Kohenim. It becomes even clearer in a different, if a different kind of Kohen priest, like Melchizedek, arises. And so the author is now pointing directly to Yeshua. 
who's completed his work. Because one day, and we may see it, we don't know, once the third temple arises, the priestly order will be fully reestablished. The morning and the evening sacrifices will continue. But notice that those priests will never rest. Only Messiah, who's done his work once and for all, offering his body as a holy living sacrifice. And later he appeared to the Father, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Though he arises to intercede for us, and how, are, how is our sins cleansed? By his own precious blood. And if you, if you fully realize this, that when Moshe was on Mount Sinai and he was given instructions how to build and make the Mishkan, Adonai showed him the original. And that was in heaven. All the increments, all the portions of the Mishkan were literally in heaven itself. And he told them to rise and to anoint men to do who are skilled to do these things. And that's all the fulfillment of scripture. Praise be unto God. Let's continue now since we're in the book of Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. But the work Yeshua has been given to do is far superior to theirs. And who's the it? Theirs? the priests, the Levites. Just as the covenant he mediates is better, for this covenant has been given as Torah on the basis of better promises. The new covenant is much better covenant. Now continuing here in chapter 10 and verse 14. And this is what it says here. For by a single offering... He, and who's he here, but Yeshua, has brought to the goal for all time. For what time? For all time. Those who are being set apart for God and made holy. And the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, too, bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant, which I will make with them after those days, says Adonai. I will put my Torah on their hearts and I will write it on their minds. And where's that a direct quote from? Jeremiah 31, 32, and 33. Then he adds, and their sins and their wickedness, I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness for these, an offering for sins is no longer needed. That's speaking about the morning and the evening sacrifice. Why? Because Yeshua's sacrifice is a complete sacrifice, never to be done again. Where the Levitical priests, it was morning and evening, and it went on year after year, after year, until that temple system was destroyed, and when the temple was rebuilt, 
and it went for that period of time, and then it was destroyed. Now for the last 2,000 years, what has been the only covering but Yeshua's sacrifice, his alone? Praise be unto God. And so this is now, key, is now being keeping with what Yeshua's said in the Great Commission to his Talmudim. And this is what he said in Matthew 18, 18. Whatever you prohibit on earth will be prohibited in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. A commission first given to Kepha along with the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which is the same kingdom as mentioned here in Yaakov chapter 2 verse 5. And where is that taken from? The book of Matthew, chapter 16, and verse 19. Matthew 16 and 19. So Yeshua taught on these various subjects also. While he, while he was fulfilling his earthly ministry here on, the, on this earth. Matthew 16 and verse 19 declares for us. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you prohibit on earth will be prohibited in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now they were not to do this on their own whim or thought. They were to obey God's Torah instruction. His mitzvot on all these issues. So continuing. Although obeying and interpreting Torah are thought in Judaism as quite distinct since rabbinical authorities are the only authorized interpreters who may establish halakha. It is nevertheless clear that there's a sense in which any obedience at all requires a measure of interpretation, at least the measure necessary to understand what is to be obeyed. Moreover, a Messianic believer attempting to obtain the goal of kingdom Torah is not given free reign to do what is right in his own eyes. Does not scripture warn that? That mankind from time to time, they go about doing what's right in their own eyes. So the provision that the Torah is to be accomplished according to the principle of neighborly love sets boundaries. But this canon of interpretation may lead to a different halakha from that of non-Messianic Judaism. The result of these issues might be raised and resulting into, and I'll spell it out for you, it's M-A-C-H-O-K-E-T, mak-lechet, a dispute. Now let us look now and focus on Yaakov chapter 2 and verse 9. But if you show favoritism, your actions constitute sin, since you are convicted under the Torah as transgressors. Your action constitute. In the Greek, the word is spelled E-R-G-A-Z-E-S-T-H-E. Ergazeth. Related to erga, which means actions. Which 
appears 12 times in Yaakov chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. So continuing, thus, if you show favoritism, then no matter how much faith you claim to have, your actions constitute sin. It is this theme, what sort of actions must accompany what? Genuine faith, which is picked up and, it, and is detailed in the treatment of Yaakov chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. So continuing, your actions constitute sin, since you're convicted under the Torah as transgressors. The Torah condemns favoritism in another context with these words. Do not respect persons in judgment, but hear the small as well as the great. Do not be afraid of the face of any man, for the judgment is God's. And where was that first quoted? But the book of Davarim, which is Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Continuing, Rav Shaul also, he relates to the sin to transgression of Torah. In Romans chapter 4, verse 15. And Romans chapter 7 through 12. As does Yohanan. Sin is a violation of Torah. 1 John 3, 4. So now going back to Yaakov chapter 2, verse 10. For a person who keeps the whole Torah yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of breaking them all. And that is undeniable. Praise be unto God. And so now as we dig here even a little bit deeper. And let us also read 10. For the person who keeps the whole Torah yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of breaking them all. Verse 11, for the one who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now, if you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the Torah. Verse 12, keeping, speaking, and acting like people who will be judged by Torah, which gives freedom. Verse 13, for the judgment will be without mercy toward the one who does not show mercy, but mercy wins over judgment. So the Torah that gives freedom is not a series of separate edicts, but a unified as a whole that ultimately calls God's people to a life of giving love and mercy one towards another. A person who keeps the whole Torah yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of breaking them all. That is of breaking all the points of the Torah, thus breaking all of the Torah as illustrated in verse number 11, in verse number 11 says this, for the one who said, do not commit adultery, do not murder. But now if you don't commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the Torah. That is a breaking all the points of the Torah, thus breaking all the Torah as illustrated by the verse 11. For the one who said, do not commit adultery, 
And where was that first proclaimed? In the book of Shemot, which is the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. And this is what it says there. Do not murder. And also Davarim, Deuteronomy was also said yet again. Deuteronomy is a retelling. It also says do not murder. Also said in this portion. So let us continue. That is breaking all points of the Torah. Thus breaking all of the Torah. However, it is not true that one's violating a commandment of Torah means that one has broken the Torah permanently. That means that you're not without hope. Verses 10 and 11 agree with the normal Jewish understanding found in the writings of the rabbis that if one withholds one's willingness to accept the authority or any part of the Torah, then one has abrogated the whole authority of the Torah. These verses are sometimes taken as proof that if a person violates a single commandment of Torah, even one time, he has placed himself permanently in the category of a sinner and therefore has no hope of restored relationship with God except through only one way. And what is that one way? By accepting and throwing yourself upon the grace and accepting Yeshua as your Messiah. Moreover, it is sometimes inferred further that since everyone sins, and how do we know this? From Isaiah chapter 53, 5. Excellent that, that Alan shared on this today. It says this, but he, and who's he here that's speaking of? Yeshua. He was wounded because of our crimes, crushed because of our sins. The disciplining that makes us whole fell upon him, and by his bruises or his stripes, we are now healed. There's a way, and it's only through Messiah Yeshua. And you know what's amazing? In the book of Romans 3.23, it declares this, since all have sinned. Are we not all part of all? Absolutely. Since we have all sinned and come short of earning God's praise, falling short of the glory of God. And sooner or later must violate at least one of the commandments of Torah. It was inadvertently impossible under the Mosaic law for anyone to be right in a right relationship with Abba, Father God. This inference is wrong. It contradicts what is proclaimed in Luke chapter 1, verse 6. Both of Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before God, observing all the mitzvot and ordinance of Adonai blamelessly. That's what the scripture reported about these two individuals. Were they perfect? No. But as for following God's commands, they did everything that was honorable. So continuing, it is true that no one can be right in a right relationship with Abba, Father God, apart from Yeshua. But it is not true that one's violating a commandment means that one has broken the Torah permanently. 
and irremittedly. That is not what this verse is saying. And it is certainly not true that the Mosaic law was given was unfulfillable. We cannot fulfill it, but Messiah Yeshua has. So Yaakov in verses 10 and 11 is teaching along similar lines. As clear from the Greek verb, tenses. If you don't commit adultery, that is, if you make it your ongoing practice, present tense, to obey the command not to commit adultery, but yet you murder. Make it your ongoing practice and continuing mindset to disobey this command. Then you have become perfect tense. You have once and for all put yourself in a category of being a transgressor of the Torah. I enjoy what Rabbi Yekiel Lichtenstein on his commentary on Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 3.13, and also Yaakov, James chapter 2.10 said. And this is what Lichtenstein wrote in his commentary. Referred as the, and I'll spell it, A-V-A-R-Y-A-N, Avrion, and the Talmud as an apostate in respect to one thing. The Tanakh calls such rejection of the authority of the Torah sinning with a high hand. Moreover, any society regards acceptance of some of its laws and rejection of others is tantamount to rejection of its whole legal system. And isn't that basically what's going on in nations right now? If you're of a certain class of people, you get a free get-out-of-jail card, do you not? And you're not held accountable. So let us continue here now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Torah, which gives freedom. Love the fruit of the Ruach HaKodesh. In Galatians 5.22, what does it say? It says this, but the fruit of the Ruach HaKodesh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. Nothing in the Torah stands against such things so the love does freely what Abba Father God Torah requires just as what is said in Yaakov chapter 2 verse 8 it says this if you attain the goal of kingdom Torah in conformity with the passage that says love your neighbor as yourself Continuing, what does Romans 13, 8 through 10 speak to us? It says this, don't any owe anyone anything except love for one another. For whoever loves his fellow human being has fulfilled Torah. For the commandments don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, 
Where is that directly quoted from? But Shemot Exodus 20, verses uh, 13 through 14. And any others are summed up with this one rule. And what is that one rule? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not do harm to their neighbor. Therefore, love is the fullness of Torah. Continuing. Jeremiah 31, 30 through 34. What is it declares? Here's the days that are coming, says Adonai, when I will make a new covenant with whom? The house of Israel and with the house of Yehuda. It will not be like the covenant I made with your fathers. On the day I took them by what? By the hand. And I brought them out of Egypt because they for their part violated my covenant, even though I for my part was a husband to them, says Adonai. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says Adonai, I will put my Torah within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So what is meant here is that I'm promising under the Brit Hadashah, the new covenant, that the Torah would be written on the hearts of God's people. Praise be unto God. In Messianic Jews, chapter 8, verse 6. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. Chapter 8, verse 6. But now the work of Yeshua has been given to do is far superior to others. Just as the covenant he mediates is better. Who mediates it? It is he himself. For this covenant has been given as Torah on the basis of what? Better promises. Indeed, if the first covenant had not given ground for fault, fault finding, there would have been no need for a second one. For God does find fault with people when he says. Did we just read Jeremiah 31? See, the days are coming, says Adonai, when I'll establish over the house of Israel and the house of Yehuda a new covenant. It will not be a covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and led them forth out of the land of Egypt, because they, for their part, did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I, for my part, stopped concerning myself with them, says Adonai. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Adonai. I will put my Torah in their hearts and in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them will teach his fellow citizen or his brothers saying, no, Adonai, for all will know me from the least of them to the greatest because I will be merciful towards their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. By using the term new, he has made the first covenant old. And something being made old, something in the process of the aging, is on its way to vanishing altogether. Was that not a word for word, almost completely, what Jeremiah the prophet wrote? Absolutely. So continuing here. 
But there is always the risk that such freedom will be perverted to license. And how do we know this? We know this because what it says and recorded in the book of Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. For brothers you were called to be free. Not only, only do not let that freedom become an excuse for allowing your old nature to have its way. Instead, serve one another in what? Love. For the whole of the Torah is summed up in this one sentence, love your neighbor as yourself. In these two verses, Yaakov reminds his readers that even though under the new covenant, the Torah gives freedom, nevertheless, Torah still sets the standard for judgment. And God's people will be judged by it. And how do we know this? Romans 2, 12 and 13 say it, says this. All who have sinned outside the framework of Torah will die outside the framework of Torah. And all who have sinned within the framework of Torah will be judged by Torah. For it is not merely the hearers of the Torah whom God considers righteous. Rather, it is the doers of what Torah says who will be made righteous in God's sight. So, in oversimple comparisons between Christianity and Judaism, assume that the Old Testament portrays God as a stern and unremitting judgmental. With the New Testament offering a new God of mercy. Actually, the Tanakh, in the Tanakh, declares that God is merciful too. How do we know this? What does Shemot Exodus 34, 6 through 7 say? God is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in grace and truth, showing grace to a thousand generations, forgiving the offenses and crimes and sins, yet not exonerating the guilty, but causing the negative effects of the parents' offenses to be experienced by their children and grandchildren, even by the third and fourth generations. It also goes to say in Psalm 62:12, also to you, Adonai, belongs grace, for you reward all their deeds as they deserve. So while under the new covenant judgment will be without mercy toward the one who does not show mercy himself, Yaakov relives the stark severity now by stating that mercy or love in verse number eight of, of Yaakov chapter two, which a person shows others wins over, that is, prevents God's adverse judgment towards him. The same idea is found in Yeshua's own words. And this is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. What did Yeshua say? For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Also, let's turn quickly to Matthew chapter 18. We're almost complete here. Matthew chapter 18. And verse 21. 
Isn't God's word rich and good? It's wonderful to see how scripture lines up upon scripture so that we can gain the full mind of God. Then Kepha came up and said to him, and who's the him here but Yeshua? Rabbi, how often can my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? As many as seven times? No, not seven times, he answered. Yeshua, but 70 times seven. Because of this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who decided to settle his counts with his deputies. Right away, they brought forward a man who owed him many millions. And since he could not pay, his master ordered that he, his wife, his children, and all their possessions be sold to pay the debt. But the servant fell down before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. So out of pity for him, the master let him go, and he forgave the debt. But as a servant was leaving, he came upon one of his fellow servants, who owed him a sum, tiny amount of money. He grabbed him and he began to choke him, crying, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell before him and begged, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had him thrown in jail until he should pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were extremely distressed. And they went and told their master everything that had taken place. Then the master summoned his servant and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debts just because you begged me to do it. Shouldn't you have had pity on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers for punishment until he paid back everything he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you each forgive your brother from your hearts. Praise be unto God. We'll end on that scripture. Bless